Good morning, Fair Hill Church. My name is Steve Coward. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to have the opportunity uh, this morning to open up God's Word uh, with you as we continue our way uh, through the book of Colossians and our series that we have called Christ is Enough. And, and as we start our time this morning, as we get into the scripture in a moment at verse 15 of chapter 1, we're going to see that, that Paul burst out in song. He, he burst out in a song that's all about Jesus, that's about how Jesus is enough. Uh, countering these, these other people who seemed to be coming into Colossae, saying that there was these other things that they needed to know to have, have really deep, deep understanding. If they really wanted to grow in their faith, there was these other things that they needed to know. And, and Paul comes out singing, saying, no, Jesus is enough. You do not need more than him. So let's read uh, the word this morning, starting at verse uh, 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, and without reproach, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we ask that you would be present now as we go through your word. We ask that the words that are said would be your words and not the words of man, uh, that you would use our time and your word to convict our hearts, to draw us closer to you, uh, that we'd be reminded again of our need for a Savior, and that we would once again flee to the cross. Oh, Father, uh, would you be present with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you have, know, have likely either read or maybe you've watched the movie, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And uh, you know that story of Aslan, of Aslan saving and, and rescuing um, Narnia, um, how he went to the death and then he, he rose from the dead. But I want to think for just a moment this morning, actually uh, chronologically before that whole story, it's not the first book that was written. Uh, but it's, it's what took place before that, and the magician's nephew, where, where actually some of the characters in the story, they find themselves at the creation of Narnia. They, they find themselves in this big black void, and in the midst of pitch black darkness. There was nothing there. And then they began to slowly hear a song being sung. They, then, and as they, those words begin to come, they begin, things slowly begin to change. Um, slowly, light begins to be introduced. 
And then there's a sun and, and then there's stars. And as this song is being sung, Narnia is being created. And then they realize and they finally comes into focus who it is that's singing this song. The one that's singing the song is none other than Aslan, the one that we, we know later in the story, the one who's going to actually redeem and is actually going to rescue Narnia. He is the one that's there creating it as he sings it into creation. Lewis writes this, the lion was pacing to and fro about that empty land and singing his new song. It was softer and more lilting than the song by which he had called upon the stars and the sun. A gentle rippling music. And as he walked and sang, the valley grew green with grass. It spread out from the lion like a pool. It ran up the sides of the little hills like a wave. This incredible picture of Aslan singing, and as he sings, it's created. Narnia is created. It comes into being. It should remind us immediately of, of Genesis 1, right? Where God speaks. And what happens? Creation comes into being. God speaks and it takes place, just as Aslan sings, and it takes place. Uh, this morning, I want us to have the picture, and I think Paul wants us to, if you will, have the picture of Jesus singing and everything coming into being. You see, when we think of Jesus, rightfully, we, we typically think of his life here on earth. We think of the miracles. We think of his teachings. And then, of course, we, we think of his death his resurrection and ascension. And those things, don't get me wrong, those things are central to who Jesus is and what we need to understand about him. But we also need to understand the full, the full orb picture of who Jesus really is. And Paul brings that to the forefront in this song that he's singing this morning. Because Jesus, as this song tells us, Jesus is the creator Jesus is the one who, who spoke everything into being. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. And before you start getting worried that, oh, did, did Jesus have a day when he was born? What, what Paul's actually getting is that he is first, first in priority. Not that he was actually created, but he's, he's above all of creation. Nothing in all of creation has its beginning without him. He is the creator, as, as it says, by him, through him, for him, all things were created. He is the creator. He is the first thing. John puts it this way. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. You see, Jesus is the creator. He made it all. And it all exists to, to bring him glory. And as Paul goes on to say it, in him, actually, all of creation holds together, that, that Jesus is holding it all together. And if Jesus were not, we would not be. Do, do you see the picture of how God, how God, through Jesus, is upholding all things all the time through his work of providence? Our hearts are beating right now because Jesus, the creator, is how incredible to even begin to think about that. And then as we, we begin to think of, uh, of creation, creation itself testifies about God and it testifies actually about Jesus too. Maybe you've all been there. You've, you've been on that mountaintop. 
Maybe seen that sunrise or that sunset. Have you been on the mountaintop or, or you've been down at the beach and you've, you've seen the same. You've had those moments of creation where you were just left in awe. Maybe like me, at times even with tears running down your cheeks as, as you were just so in awe of the creation. So in awe of the fact that there has to be a creator that is pointing to something much bigger and much grander than is in this creation. It's pointing to a creator. Well, it's pointing ultimately to Jesus, we need to understand. The creator, the one who spoke it into being. John Piper puts it this way. He says, everything from the bottom of the oceans to the tops of the mountains, from the smallest particle to the biggest star, from the most boring school subjects, kids, you listening, to the most fascinating science, from the ugliest cockroach, no, we don't usually like them, but from the ugliest cockroach to the most beautiful human, from the greatest saint to the most wicked genocidal dictator, everything that exists, everything that exists, exists to make the greatness of Christ more fully known, including you and the person you have the hardest time liking. Do you get it? The creation testifies not just to some vague creator. It testifies about Jesus. And then even us, we are, are created in the image of God, right? And part of that being created in the image of God means that we are little creators, if you will, and, and we create things. And then as we create things, those things can't help but speak of Jesus, even if unintentionally, even, even in beautiful art and, and music and, and movies and literature. Jesus is ultimately proclaimed, maybe in whispers at times. There, there's a moment um, a little over 15 years ago on Saturday Night Live. Um, if you've watched Saturday Night Live, you, you're familiar with, with, with with how the show always ends. The whole cast comes out, the host for the week is there and they're doing their goodbyes, they're celebrating what a great week it's been. You know, they practiced all week and, and now they've pulled it off and, and the host gets up and he says, good night. This night was different because right there beside the host was Bono, the lead singer of U2. And, and Bono just immediately starts taking off to the other side of the stage. He goes over to where the rest of the band is and, and the edge starts playing on the guitar, starts playing the the beginnings of those lines, I will follow. And everybody just starts going crazy because the show's supposed to be over, but the show's not stopping. The show keeps going because it's U2, and U2 can do what U2 wants to do, I guess. Um, and so he begins to sing, I will follow. And, and if you don't know anything of that song, it's a song that comes really out of the death of Bono's mom. Uh, and the, the, the desire, the longing that he had for that unconditional love of a mother. He says this, he says, it's a little sketch about the unconditional love a mother has for a child. If you walk away, walk away, and I will follow. It's a picture of the unconditional love of a mother has, has for a child. And, and here's Bono singing it on SNL. And it's, that, it's actually that iconic moment, if, you, if you're familiar at all with, with YouTube, Bono is actually, it's that, that, that picture of him dancing with the camera and they're spinning around in circles. This is that night. And then from there, he goes and he goes over to Amy Poehler. Actually, she's been on Parks and Rec. 
Uh, more recently, you may know her from there. But he goes over to her and he just embraces her as he continues to sing. And, and, and they're just kind of like slow dancing as he continues to sing, I will follow. And as he ends the song, he, he steps back and he releases her. And there is Amy Poehler. And, and the tears are just streaming down her face. Why, why were the tears streaming down her face? Because I want us to understand at that moment, it may have been a small piece of it, but at that moment she experienced something of the creator. She experienced something of Jesus. It might not have been loud. It might not have been screaming from the top of the rooftop. Jesus might not have been proclaimed clearly. The gospel might not have been proclaimed clearly. But right there in that moment, a little bit of Jesus, maybe even a, a small, a dim picture of his unconditional love was shown to her. That doesn't mean she became a believer that night or anything. I'm, I'm not trying to, to say that. But we must understand that, that through the creation, through the creation, much is made of Jesus over and over. The creation can't help but speak of Jesus. And we find it coming out sometimes even in the... The oddest of moments, even on Saturday Night Live, that you have a, a hardened, what you would assume at least, is a hardened, cynical comic that's brought to tears by the redemptive moment that she found herself in. You see, just as you and I are moved maybe by that beautiful sunset, we can be moved all over the place and are moved all over the place as we confront the creation testifying about its creator as it testifies as it sometimes screams and sometimes shouts and sometimes whispers maybe as it did that night on SNL but as it proclaims the creator as it points to Jesus everything that exists exists to make Christ more fully known and now we need to understand well what does this mean for you and I if Jesus really is the creator what does that mean for us if if he really has that kind of supremacy, he has the right to demand of you and I whatever he wants. There, there can be no room for, for any other gods. There's no limits to the creator's rights over his creation, right? Whatever the creator says, we must do. Help us understand that. One pastor uses this illustration. Can, can you just imagine going to the hospital room of your dear friend who's dying? Uh, there, there's no cure, it seems, but you come in and you have this cure. You have this medicine that is going to cure them once and for all. And you tell them, I have the cure. All you have to do is take this. But there's one issue. You'll never be able to eat chocolate again. Now, can you imagine your friend sitting there and saying, well... Hmm, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's quite worth it. I mean, if I can never have chocolate again, you know, now maybe some of you chocolate lovers out there, you're, you're thinking like, I don't know, this might be a real struggle for me. But I think for most of us, we would leap at the chance. We, we would so desperately, of course, chocolate, oh yeah, I'll get rid of that if it means keeping my life. You see, that medicine, <laughs> that healing medicine have the, has the right to demand of you whatever it wants, doesn't it? And so too does the creator. He has the rights to demand of us whatever we want. He can say, no more chocolate. But we, of course, have a problem, don't we? Because we tend to deny certain things to the creator. We don't like giving everything over to him. We like to hold certain things back, don't we? You know, 
we don't want to give him everything. There's certain things that, that we, 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 we want to hold on to, that we cling to. And, you know, just think through the things that you spend maybe most of your time on. The things that you spend most of your money on. The things that you spend your thought life on. And likely there, you'll find the things that you wouldn't want to give up to the Creator. Or you really struggle to give up to the Creator, right? So what do we do with this? We have Jesus, this incredible creator, who has the rights to demand of us whatever he wants. But yet we as a people struggle to give those things over to him. We struggle to be able to say those words, really, that Christ really is enough. Because we say, well, not in this area or that area, because I need to keep that for myself. This creates a great problem because we can never really meet the demands of the creator. And that's why it's so wonderful that Paul then goes to where he goes next in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, that he might be enough. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Did you hear that first bit of good news that he is the head of the church? What, what good news that, that he is the head of a ragtag group of sinners. That he's the head of a people who know that he is enough who know intellectually that truth, but struggle to live it out and continue to hold things back and don't want to give up chocolate, if you will. That, that, and yet, he is our head and willingly takes that position as our head and as the firstborn of the dead. He is, of course, resurrected. He has already been given that new body and what beautiful language there that he's the firstborn if he's the first, there must be a second, maybe a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. And the incredible good news for you and I this morning that if we are in Christ, we are numbered among those. Those who, who will one day be born anew in those new resurrection bodies like his. He has come and he came to reconcile to himself all things. You know, if, if things need to be reconciled, what does that tell us? That tells us that things are broken, that a relationship is ruptured. And Jesus came into that to reconcile all things. Just think back to the garden. There were Adam and Eve, and, and what did they do? God had said, I want you to trust me that everything I've given you is enough. And they look at that fruit of that tree, and they say... I don't know. I think we may know better. I mean, I know that God said that all of this is enough, but, but I, think, I think we need that fruit too. I think we need that too. And so they eat of it saying, well, maybe God doesn't know better. And we do the same thing, don't we? We, we know so often what the creator Jesus wants of us. And yet we say, yeah, but right now I think actually... As I weigh things out in my own mind, I think right here, I might know better. And so that's how we act. But then the beauty of those next words, what does he do? Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making what? Peace by the blood of the cross. 
Blood must be shed in order to cover over sin, in order to bring reconciliation. What do we have here? We have the, the, the creator himself, Jesus, sheds his blood for his creation that is said to him, I think I know better than you do. Do you get the wonder of that? That the creator gives up everything, sheds his blood for the creation so that there can be peace between God and man. And so that he, therefore, is able to say Paul's next words in verse 21, and you, that's us, and we, you who are once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He's now reconciled us to himself through that blood that has been shed in order what? To present you as holy, as blameless, and above reproach. Now, as I stand here right now, I, I don't feel really holy. I don't feel really blameless. I don't, I don't feel above reproach. But the good news of the gospel tells me that even though I may not feel it right now and at every moment, that because of Jesus' shed blood, because of the, reconcilia reconcilia the reconciliation that he has done through his blood, sorry, through that reconciliation, I am holy. I am blameless. I am above reproach. You see, it's not about you and I trying to become some super Christian. That's not how we are saved. That's not how we stay saved. And Paul makes that clear in verse 23, doesn't he? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. How will you remain in? By working really hard? No, Paul says, by not shifting from the hope of the gospel, by not shifting to thinking for a moment, well, maybe God will love me if. No, it's, it's by coming to grips that the gospel really is true. That you really are holy in Christ. That in Christ you really are blameless. That in Christ you really are above reproach. And I want us to also understand, that is incredible. But Paul, I think in this passage, he even adds, he even, he adds layer, he, he puts icing on the cake because that is incredible right there to just understand who we are right now. But he also promises something about an incredible future that is before us as believers, that was before the Colossians as believers. Because did you, did you understand what he said in verse 20? That through him to what? To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. He's reconciling all things. He, he didn't say he's just reconciling his church. He says he's reconciling all things. He's reconciling creation as well. All of, uh, of creation. You remember back in Genesis 3, we mentioned it a minute ago. After Adam ate that fruit, what happened whenever he went out into the field to farm after that? The creation itself began to fight against him. 
We know the, the, the warriors of that fight, right? If you've, if you've had a lawn that you've tried to take care of or a garden or something, you know the weeds that come in, you, you know the pest, you know how the creation itself seems to fight against you as you garden. That is part of the results of sin in this world. And, and Jesus came not just to heal you and I, not just to make us holy, blameless, and above reproach. He also came to reconcile all of his creation. That one day that we get to look forward to that we're told about in Revelation where we get to enjoy the new heavens and new earth. Where we get to be with Jesus for all of eternity. Paul even begins to talk about this in Romans 8. You may remember these words. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That even creation itself is in a sense being redeemed, it's being reconciled, that he came to reconcile to himself all things, all things here on earth, all things in heaven. Do you understand? Do you grasp how grand this reconciling is? Can you imagine that new earth where you go out to garden and, and the earth itself actually like cooperates with you as you, as you try to work in the garden and, and there's like, I don't know what weeds become that suddenly somehow weeds help you garden. I don't know what that looks like and there's pests and stuff that, that actually feed the plants. I don't even know what that would look like. But Jesus is at work reconciling all things to himself. You know, a little while ago, we, we, we started with Narnia right at the creation. I think maybe it's fitting that we go to Narnia's end in that very last book, The Last Battle. All the characters you've come to know and love, they've followed Aslan as, as Narnia is basically being destroyed. They followed him into a stable, which is very fitting. They, they follow Aslan into a stable. The door is closed. They're now on the inside. And on the other side of that door, the understanding is, is that all of Narnia is being destroyed. And Aslan calls the people who have who've followed him, he tells them to come in and up with him. Now that seems a little odd in a stable, but this is Narnia. It's kind of like if you think of that wardrobe, you know, you go into the wardrobe and it just kind of keeps going. And, and so they go into this stable and the stable just kind of keeps going. And, and then finally they realize that they're no longer in a stable anymore. And then you look over to one side. You look over there and, and you see a mountain. And you look at the mountain and, and that looks very familiar. That looks like a mountain that I knew in Narnia, but it's bigger. And the colors are, are more bold and it's more beautiful, but it looks like the same mountain. And, and then they look over there and they see something else that looks so similar as, as Narnia, but it looks more beautiful. It looks like a better form of it. And in reality, they are in the new Narnia. It's the same Narnia, if you will, but it's a new Narnia. It's been cleansed. It's much more beautiful than they could have ever imagined. And this is how Lewis kind of brings things to a close. He says this. And as he spoke, this Aslan, as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I can't even write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. 
And we can most truly say that all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What I think an incredibly beautiful picture of what Jesus the creator is doing as he is reconciling all things. As we approach, as we move towards that promise of that new heavens and the new earth where he reconciles all things to himself. And if you think about it, like the Narnians, where we are right now, what we're in right now, what we've been doing right now for the past however many years you've been here on earth, do you understand it's really just like the cover and the title page of your life? There is so much more beyond that. And, and what is, lies before you, each chapter is going to be better than the one before. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful, Lewis wrote, that I cannot even write them down. You see, as we've talked about this morning, Jesus came and he, he, he's the creator. He's the one who, who, who made it all. He, he created it all. And we, like Adam and Eve, we, we royally messed it up, haven't we? The creator has said, I want you to go this way. This is what I want from your life. And, and, and we keep going in the other way. And we keep pushing back and saying, well, but I can't give that to you. And even in the midst of that, the creator reconciles us to himself. Jesus himself does it, the one who created everything. He also, he also redeems his creation that has over and over said, actually, Jesus, I know better than you. And yet he still goes after them. He still reconciles them to himself. And we get to look forward to how he's reconciling all things. And that one day where we will join him with our own with our own glorified and resurrected bodies on that new heavens and, and new earth. Now, I want to be careful because it can sound like, like what I'm saying kind of puts down all the stuff we're going through now. And, and the pains in our world now, the pains that we have experienced in this life now. And, oh, well, that doesn't really matter that much because you have all of eternity in front of you. And, and I don't want to do that. And I don't want either to put down our joys and the things that we can celebrate here in this life because God is at work in and through us now. As Paul said, to live, to live right now is Christ. So that's nothing to trivial at. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we have the appropriate perspective on our life. That we, right now, if you will, are only on the title page the cover and the title page of the book of our life. And we have all of eternity that is before us. Chapter one even. You know, maybe, maybe if you want to argue with me, maybe we're in the preface, okay? But chapter one is still before us. And we need to understand that chapter one is going to be so good. 
so much better than we could have ever asked for or hoped for. And we get to look forward to that because that is where our creator, Jesus Christ, is leading us. As he is going to undo, if you will, all the bad. As he's reconciling all things to himself so that we can look forward to a day where there's going to be no more tears and sorrow and pain and death and all the bad things of this world that we experience now as he's reconciling all things to himself. And we need to understand. We need to grasp, not just in our heads, but down to the very depths of our heart, that the one who created everything, Jesus Christ, the one who has shed his own blood at the cross so that we might be reconciled to him, We need to understand that he is truly enough. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is true. Sometimes it's hard to believe that that it really could be that the story is this great and grand and that we have this much to look forward to and that you're taking us to such a great place that the creator is reconciling all things to himself and that even now as we, we wait with the rest of creation that we could really be called holy and blameless and above reproach. Would you this day. Convince not only our minds of the truth of these words, but might you move that truth not just to knowledge in our head, but might you move it to the depths of our heart that we might live out of the joy, the joy that comes out of knowing that Jesus is truly, truly enough for us. Truly understanding who you are, Jesus, our creator and our redeemer. Would you go with us as we go into this week that is before us, reminding us of the hope, reminding us, not allowing us to shift even for a moment from the hope of the gospel. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Now hear the blessing that comes from our great creator and our redeemer. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. God bless you. Hope you all have a great week.